So hey everybody, this is Daniel Abrahams and today on Mini Multinational we'll be talking to my guest about the art of give, give, give and then take, startup PR for Mini Multinationals, how to build an entire career as a friar, we'll come on to that, and vlogging in 2018. Our guest today is the incredible Hillel Fould. He's an all-star tech guru voted in the top 100 most influential Israelis in tech. He's a blogger, vlogger, mentor, founder, startup advisor, and all-round mensch. For the Brits out there, that's a good bloke. He has taken advisory roles at around 15 startups and blogs for some, blogs for some of the world's most influential tech sites, including Inc., TechCrunch, Mashable, The Next Web, and Huffington Post. That's quite a career and quite a journey, and welcome, Hillel. Thank you for joining us. I should pay you for PR, man. <laughs> check is in the mail, my friend. There we go. Well, I think we'll hear a lot more. It's pretty hot in here, isn't it? It's okay. It's all right. We're hot because the, the yeah, content's hot. Yeah, absolutely. Hot topic, you know what absolutely. I'm well, this oh, is dude. the start of things to come. So tell us um, your personal elevator pitch. This is how we like to start most of the podcasts. Um, I think people listening that know you know what you're doing in the right here, right now, but almost take us back to the beginning. How did you get to where you are today? First of all, I'd like to point out that I promise you, guarantee you, this is one of the only tech podcasts in the world in which the introduction had at least two Yiddish words that I could think of. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Let's start with that. Was it factually correct? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> accurate. Um, I, you know, I would, I would actually take one word out that you, you said in the intro, and you said give, 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 take. Just take the word take out. There's no, there's no taking here. It, it comes, but I don't take. And, I'll, and, I'll, and we'll get there. But just kind of real quick background. From New York originally, moved to Israel when I was a kid. Uh, middle of high school. It wasn't an easy transition, not an easy age. And um, really quickly, completely naturally, because I, I always loved tech, kind of transitioned into the world of tech. Started writing my thoughts, um, you know, 10 plus years ago about technology and kind of my opinions. Um, then I thought of it as a tech diary. Today it's called a blog. And um, nobody was blogging back then. Today everyone and their mother's blogging. And uh, really quickly, startups started to reach out saying, I read your article, I'd love to meet. I'd meet with them, help them a little bit with you know their pitch, uh, help them maybe know their competitor, competitive landscape, help them whatever they needed really. And there was no business model and people thought I was nuts because again in Israel, as, you're, as you mentioned, it's the worst thing in the world to be what's called, what's called a friar, which means that in most countries when you put your blinker on on the road, the driver in the next lane says, okay, you want to come into my lane? I'll slow down. In Israel, I'll speed up because <laughs> why would I let you into my lane? What am I, a friar? In English, I guess it's loosely translated as a sucker. Uh, and that's a very bad thing to be in Israel. And I'm, by the way, I'm not dissing on Israelis. I'm Israeli, but it is a part of the culture here. For whatever reason, by the way, you can analyze it historically. You know, let's just say we didn't have the easy, uh, as the Jewish people, we didn't have a very easy history. So we're always kind of afraid that people are trying to screw us over. So we have to kind of fight for ourselves and defend ourselves. But that's the bottom line that nobody wants to be a friar here. And I kind of built myself a career out of being a friar, which is helping a company, whatever it is. And then a VC would say, wait, all this deals, all this deal folks coming to you, Hillel, send them to us. And I'm closing deals, not taking, you know, no finder fee, no, nothing from anyone really. There was no business model. People thought I was nuts. Fast forward 12 years and I'm in Silicon Valley last week and I am walking out of Andreessen Horowitz. I sat with Benedict Evans, one of the leading uh, tech analysts in the world, now a partner at Andreessen Horowitz, top VC in the world. And Mark Andreessen, the man who invented the modern web browsers, walking in. He's obviously the founder of Andreessen Horowitz. And Bull guy. Yeah. And, you know, we've been in touch over email for, I don't know, five years. I interviewed him on VentureBeat. And, you know, I'm uh, slightly embarrassed to say these words, but I consider him a friend. And I, you know, because I don't take any finder's fees because there's no strings attached, I never wanted anything from him. All I did was send him deals. So he's walking into the, into the firm. I'm walking out and I walk over to him. And I remember, we never, we never met in person. I walk over to him. I said, Mark, Hillel Fold. And he's on the phone. He has AirPods. And he's like, oh, Hillel. You know, and then he writes me five minutes later. He says, Hill, I'm so sorry. I couldn't spend more time with you. And I'm thinking to myself, why does Mark Andreessen even care? And the answer is because everyone around him is trying to take. 
right? They're pitching. They're sending him his deck. They want his money. They want something. Comes along this Hillel Fold guy. He wants nothing from him. Just wants to give. So, you know, that's what I did with companies. That's what I did with VCs. And that's what I did with content. That's what I did with advice. That's what I did with whatever I could give, I gave. And what ended up happening is many, many companies came back to me and said to me, Hillel, I know you didn't ask for it. I know you wouldn't ask for it, but we understand what you can do for us because you showed us what you can do for us. Now take. And I don't even have a sales deck. I've never came to a company and said, pay me. But many, many companies over the years, close to 20 companies have said to me, be an advisor, take equity in the company, take a retainer, join us, help us with marketing, help us with PR, help us with growth, help, help us with, you know, biz dev, whatever it is, help us with fundraising. And that's what I do today. You know, I'm advising a whole bunch of companies. One might say I built a VC without capital. <laughs> Having a good time. But tell me, can you almost point to a pivotal breakthrough in your career? I mean, everyone looks for personal development. Everyone wants to scale themselves up personally. Um, it seems you put out a lot of content. You build a lot of human relationships, and, and that's great. But can you almost point to one, one moment, whether it be three, five, seven, ten years ago, that, that really helped you scale your career I'll point doing to, what you do? I'll point to two. Okay. So let's talk about the first one. You know, over the years, I'm doing my blogging thing, having a good time, producing content, getting traffic. Everything's great. But then one day, I'd say it was approximately, if I'm guessing, I never actually, I didn't check the date, but let's say, let's call it seven years ago. I said to myself, okay, I get the whole giving thing. I get the whole content thing. It's awesome. How do I, how do I actually bring this down, you know, to a very practical um, marketing strategy and actually help this, this giving thing manifest itself in real business? And I said to myself, it's very simple. Instead of, you know, companies that spend their time blogging about themselves and promoting themselves, I'm going to promote others. I'm going to start doing interviews and give other people a stage. And I said to myself, I'm going to set my goals, my, my wish list of people I want to interview, super duper high, like unattainable high, like Steve Wozniak high, like Mark Andreessen high, like Alyssa Milano high, like crazy people, Mark Zuckerberg high. The easy way out would have been just to take your black book that wasn't super high. Right. 100%. And I said, no, I'm yeah. going to start high. And I started, and I, and I, and my, and the That's other smart. voice, my other inner voice said to me, okay, dude, who the hell do you think you are that you can interview yeah. Steve Wozniak, the founder of Apple? You constrained yourself to the top to sort of set that bar. Yeah. And long story short, I'll kind of just run through it. I, I, I started slowly but surely knocking people off that list. And, you know, the, the top of that list was indeed Steve Wozniak. And, you know, slowly but surely, I started to engage with him on Facebook and like his stuff and comment and this and that. And then one day, you know, he liked one of my posts and I was like, you know, I just screeched like a little girl, but it was just a Facebook post, you know, just a Facebook like, and then a couple of more Facebook likes. And I was on his radar. So I went in for the kill and I, I messaged Steve Wozniak on Facebook and I said, Steve, you've deeply impacted my career. I'd love to interview you on my blog. And he wrote, he actually responded, which was super cool, but he, he basically, he's like, I can't, I have no time. I was like, all right, appreciate the response. No problem. I waited a year. I wrote him again. I said, you know, it would mean, it would mean so much to me. He said, listen, Steve Jobs just died. Uh, the press is all over me. I can't do more interviews. I said, no problem. I waited another year. I wrote him again. And I said, Steve, what do I have to do to change your mind? It would take 10 minutes, 10 questions by email. I'd love, he's all right, send me the questions. So I sent him the questions thinking he'd either not get back to me at all, or he'd send me one word answers. The guy sent me phenomenal answers about the early days right. of Apple, an unbelievable interview. And I published the interview and it went pretty viral, you know, because some random dude in Israel is interviewing the founder of Apple. It's a cool story. And it got a lot, a lot of shares, a lot of likes and whatever. And one of the comments was, was Steve Wozniak. And he comments and he says, Hillel, had I known it was going to get this many shares and this many reads, I would have <laughs> let you interview me three years ago, which was super cool, right? But again, perspective is just, you know, an email interview. It's not a big deal. Wow, and persistence as well. Right. Fast forward a couple of months, I get, an e I get a phone call. Uh, Hi, Hillel. <coughs> this is Steve. 
I said, Steve who? He said, Steve Wozniak. I'm like, come on, who is this? Brain <laughs> he goes, I'm coming to Israel for 24 hours. Let's have breakfast. And there I am sitting in the David Intercontinental in Tel Aviv in the lobby with the founder of Flip and Apple. Like crazy, impossible to imagine that would ever have happened, but it happened. So that was one pivotal moment when I started to interview people. And I interviewed Mark and I interviewed, you know, Guy Kawasaki. And I interviewed these people that are legendary in the tech world. That was one pivotal moment. But at the point where you wrote that list and you set the bar very high, were you already an active blogger on other tech sites? So you had a little bit of a reputation or should I say a tiny bit of leverage for the other person to look and say, do you know what? He knows his stuff. He knows what he's talking about. He's he approaches me elegantly. I'm going to do it. So versus the 21 year old guy who's just graduated out of college and wants to be a tech journalist or blogger so the answer is um did you earn the right to get no, to the top the answer is at that no, point? No, I, no i didn't and, I, and this is an interesting question that i think every marketing person should understand this is an interesting lesson i wasn't you know i didn't have big traffic at all back then but again when everybody else is focused on taking from mark andreessen i said to mark andreessen mark i want to interview you i want to give you a stage and i'll tell you something everybody has an ego everybody likes to be on stage mm. Right? All I did was tap into that psychology and said, I don't want anything from you, dude. There's no catch. I just want to interview you. And everyone, I, everyone I've reached out to over the years, with one exception, I'm not going to tell you who it is because I'm pretty, it was a pretty, uh, I'm not a big fan of this guy. You know, literally, uh, legends said yes. And this guy's, you know, he's, he's a big guy in the tech world, not that, not like Mark Andreessen and Steve Wozniak. And he's like, oh, I have no time. I was like, all right, whatever, yeah. dude. So the answer is, like, out of the, whatever, 50 people I've interviewed, that was pretty much 50 out of 51, you know? So the answer was no, I wasn't, no, not one of them asked me how much traffic I have, not one of them asked, they just said, you wanna interview me? You wanna share my insights? Let's do it. That was amazing. Awesome. So that was one pivotal moment. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's several moments that were pretty significant uh, as far as m my career, but I think the second pivotal moment was when I took that, that uh, lesson that I learned about the strength and the um, significance of content and I took it not from, I took it away from, or not away, but in addition to my writing, I took it to video because I come back from Silicon Valley and everyone's talking about, you know, Israeli tech. Everyone knows Waze, but how many people know the name Uri Levine? Not that many, right? Everyone knows, you know, Mobileye. Hmm. How many people know the name Anwan Chashua? Not many. I was like, how come nobody knows the people behind Israeli tech? Behind every great product lies exactly. a story. Exactly. So yeah. I said, you know what? I got to start, I got to start producing high quality video because there's no high quality video about Israeli tech. And I'm like, I'm meeting these people anyway. Every day I'm meeting these people anyway. So why not just walk around with a camera? And what happened was I, uh, I, you know, I, I always wanted to vlog, but I, you know, I can, I, can, I can record, I can walk around with the camera, but I can't edit. So I kind of put it in the back of my head and said, you know, maybe it will happen one day, maybe not. And then one day I get a message from someone saying, hi, my name is Joseph. I'm, I live in New York. I've been following you. I'm in Israel. Let's have coffee. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, I have no time. Yeah. You know, but like, whatever. Generally speaking, I'm a fan of being, trying to be a nice person. Like you said, a mensch, it's, it's an important mm. thing in business. And so I met this kid. Turns out. I'm, I'm skipping through the story, but it turns out he's a video editor. He's like, dude, I'd love to work with you. Let's do this. You don't even have to pay me. So we started doing the vlogging thing. He started to edit. He, he's producing amazing quality video. And for him, what? He's building his portfolio. Exactly. And then at some point, he's got to take, he's got to live, he's got to pay so his rent. Happens, so that's what happens. So, so like 10 episodes in, I think, or something like that, <coughs> I realized this guy is like legit. Mm. So I said, Joseph, how long is this taking you every day to, to edit these videos? He's like seven hours a day. Wow. And I'm like, I'm not even paying this guy. That's crazy. So I put on Facebook and I said, you know, I'm not monetizing this vlog, but if you guys have been enjoying the vlog, I want to start paying my editor. Within eight seconds, and I kid you not, eight seconds, I get a message from a big CEO in Israel who shall remain unnamed, not because I don't want to give him props, but because he forbids me from giving amazing. him credit. An amazing dude. And he said to me, I got this. And I call him up. I'm like, what do you mean I got this? He goes, you've helped me so much over the years. I could never give you anything back. I'm paying your, for your, I'm paying your editor. I'm paying for your internet at home so you can upload amazing. faster. I said, 
you know, you, I'm an advisor at your company. You, you gave me equity. He goes, that's not enough. And he literally has been paying Joseph. And Joseph's sitting and editing, you know, seven, nine hours and a day. And he didn't start getting busy looking at your viewers count, your Nothing. metrics, but, whatever. Wait, it Amazing. gets even better, dude. It gets, gets even yeah. better. What happened next? Now I have budget, right? So I'm like, all right, I need a good camera. So I started to do research. And at the time, Casey Neistat was talking about the GH5, which is a $2,000 Panasonic camera. And I'm like, all right, I want that camera. So I tweeted and I said, all right, I want the GH5. That night I get a phone call. Hi, hello, this is BNH Photo. We saw your tweet. We'd love to sponsor the vlog. We'll send you any equipment you want. No questions mm. asked. All the drones, all the cameras. And I said, you know that I have no viewers. I'm just starting. They're like, we don't care. We want a relationship. Let's so sure. I've been working with them. They've sent me... I don't know what, $40,000 worth of equipment already? No questions asked. So yeah. they get it. Most startups have yet to understand that this stuff takes time. It slowly, gradually, organically builds up. But if you produce great content, you win. It can be difficult, though, when you're a venture-backed startup and you've got an investor that looks at the sheet in the board meeting and the old-school tactics, the tried-and-tested, quote-unquote, SEO, SEM, PPC. You can see that instant ROI. You know, I'm a big believer in our mutual friend, Gary, who will come back and say, well, what's the ROI of your mother? But, you know, it can be tough for me to present to my investors the idea we're launching a podcast called Mini Multinational and really trying to explain why. I mean, I at some point have to take because I've got to, you know, deliver shareholder value. But, you know, these new forms of pushing out content, I totally buy into. I'm totally bullish about. But it can be difficult for that startup founder to totally buy into your philosophy where there are a lot of stakeholders at play that don't get it immediately. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Of course, every marketer deals with this. You know, what's the ROI of content? What's the ROI of social media? Of course. And Gary, like you said, mentions it and talks about it. And that's, it's a, you know, it's a million dollar question. So a few things to say. Number one, and you've got to be a good content creator. Yeah. You're a very bloody good content creator. But Thank in you. the billions and billions and billions of pieces of content going out per second, just pushing out content isn't enough. Well, the quality has to be consistent and high. I had two things to say. Now I have three things to say. Let's see if I can remember all three. So first of all, uh, I don't understand <coughs> why those things have to be mutually exclusive. Meaning, why do you have to, you know, let's say, for example, acquire users and, you know, generate revenue and not produce content? You can do both. You can do both. And, you know, yeah. And I would say producing content will produce revenue. Okay, so that's the second thing I wanted to say. The relationship here between what we're doing right now, recording this podcast, and you growing your revenue is a real relationship. This isn't like an abstract thing. I always compare it yeah. to an alley-oop in basketball. One player throws the ball up in the air, the other guy catches it and dunks it. When you're producing a podcast at a high level with great, valuable content, you're elevating your brand, man. When you're, when you're yeah. writing blog posts about your industry, you're elevating your brand. You're positioning yourself as an entity in this space. You're becoming the Red Bull of your space. What happens next? I come across an ad for currency transfer on Facebook. Mm. Slam dunk, because I know you guys. Yeah, I've been producing, I've been con consuming your content, right? So you're elevating your brand. That then the sales and the advertising, everything you're going to do on the user acquisition side, is that much easier. You go to a business development meeting, they're like, "Oh, I read your blog. Oh, I listen to you guys' podcast. You guys are producing great, valuable content." Slam dunk. Absolutely. These things aren't mutually exclusive. On the con on the contrary, they complement each other. And the third thing I'll say to you is, you said you know the, the quality of the content has to be super high. I fundamentally, thoroughly disagree. Let me explain. You're okay. Like, you're looking at me like I'm nuts. No, no, no. I, I, I hear, hear me out here, okay? I'll ultimately agree. <laughs> hear, hear, hear me out. So it's like this. Let's just start with the fact that we have to agree on one on one kind of uh, fundamental, I guess, premise, and that is you have to choose between quality and quantity. You cannot write fifty thousand word articles every day. You just can't. Absolutely. You can either write a fifty thousand word article once a month, or you could write four hundred word articles every day. So I am fundamentally of the opinion that you have to write every single day, less good quality, not garbage, by the way. Of course, that's what I meant. But consistency. But but hear me out. And this is one of the most brilliant things that I've ever heard in my entire career. I heard it from a CEO, one of my first jobs. He said to me something that I'll never forget. I've written articles about it. I say it to startups all the time. 
opening up a website is like opening up a restaurant. Okay, hear me out. This is a brilliant thing. I wrote, I wrote an article on Inc. about this a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's a brilliant thing. He says like this. If you open up a restaurant, first and foremost, put a sign outside. Okay, literally, I've, there's a restaurant, several restaurants that I know that do not have a sign outside. Mm. If, I, if I come across your restaurant, I pass by your restaurant and there's no sign, yeah. I'm not coming in. Yeah. I don't know if you're selling pizza or hamburgers. Yeah. I'm not coming in. That's a dumb move. All right, so <laughs> that's, that's your kind of one-liner on search. If I come across currency transfer on search, and I don't know what you are. I mean, the, the name kind of gives it away. <laughs> but have a one-liner explains what you are. That's your sign outside. That's great. That's 101. Now, what's the most important thing in a restaurant? Getting customers. No, what's the most important thing for you? That When you go to a restaurant, what's the most important thing for you? The quality of the food. Exactly, the food. The right? service, the ambience. We'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> the food is the most important. At the end of the day, that's the product. The food is the most important. That is your content. If I come to your website and the food is not good, the content's not good, I'm not coming back. The second thing that you just said, service and the ambiance. If the food's great, but it gets it gets to you when it's cold mm. and the waiter's a schmuck, pardon my French, and it's not a good experience of consuming that food, and I come to your website and the content's great, but there are broken links, it's not mobile responsive, it's not a good experience. There are errors. It's not a good experience. Consuming the content is not fun. The content could be great. The food could be great, but I'm not coming back. So those three things are small. Now, how do you bring people to your restaurant? The more food journals write about you on the, on the, in the world, right? The New York Times Food Journal writes about you, you bring, foot traffic comes to your restaurant. Now that they come to your restaurant, and there's great food and there's great ambiance, it's a snowball, okay? But you need to get people talking about you. On the internet, that's called incoming links. People talk about you on the internet, they link to you, Google promotes you, Google promotes you, get more traffic, more traffic, good content, good experience, and it's a snowball. But how do you get people to talk about you? And the answer to that... Having a great product. Yes and no. There's only a certain amount of times that someone can talk about a great product. Yeah, you'll get a review here, a review there. Yeah. But if you're generating, and I'm exaggerating for a reason, 100 pieces of content every day, that's 100 opportunities to link to you. Mm. The only thing that TechCrunch and the New York Times and CNN.com does differently than you and me is that they, they generate 100 times more content. They don't write better than me or you. They just generate 100 times more content. They, that is, it's volume. So the answer is, if you write an article a day, that's one article a day, potential article a day that someone could link to. If you write two articles a day, that's two. And if you write one article a week, that's one article a week someone could link to. So you have to be consistent here. And in my opinion, again, don't write garbage. But absolutely, in my opinion, in terms of SEO, in terms of actual, you know, generating and elevating your brand, consistency and volume and quantity, in my opinion, completely outperforms and, and overshadows and is much more significant than the quality. As an extension to that, I'd love your insights on how, on tactics, really, because I think the way... You know, you could go in like a bull in a china shop as a startup founder, I'm going to put out 100 pieces of content a day. But I think over the years, where people consume content changes. What's fashionable in 2005 isn't fashionable as much in 2018. You know, you've been a, a very, very sort of, you know, explosive blogger and now vlogger. You know, are you seeing blogging going down and vlogging going up? Um, Gary's mentioned that a couple of times. What's your take on basically respecting where is the attention of the consumer today and effectively pivoting and having the, I guess, emotional intelligence or the awareness to effectively not fall in love with any single platform and really move with the times? You said a lot. You said a lot. You yeah. said actually a lot of things in that that are very valuable. The words you used just now, I think, maybe you didn't even realize the things that you just said, but you said a lot of things that are very valuable, Thank not you. only about content, but in general, not falling in love with you know a practice or, or a habit. Not, these are all very mm. important things, not only when it comes to content, but actually building companies. You have to be flexible enough to pivot, and all the things you just said I agree with. Having said that, I don't think it's a question of finding the thing that works now, but I think it's a question of being the Wayne Gretzky, his famous quote of skating to where the puck is going, right? So, for example, today, 
in 2018, I absolutely do not think, and, and my numbers show it, by the way, that vlogging has replaced blogging. Meaning if I don't generate uh, text you know, content, then my vlog will not be enough because I have small numbers. I'm just getting started. And at the end of the day, search is pretty bad on, on, vid- on YouTube and it's, it, you know, SEO still works. There's no question about it. So I don't think it's replaced it. Now, f- the question is, will it replace it in the future? And when I say the future, I don't mean 10 years. I mean a year, two years, three years. And there's no question whatsoever that video is the next quote unquote next big thing. Mm. So it's really a question of trying to see what's coming next, not what's what's here now. Because once it's here now, then everyone and their mother's trying to do it. So you need to like skate, skate to where the puck is going. Having said that, it's also a question of balance. So for example, I shut down my Snapchat account because you know I was <coughs> huge on Snapchat, right? I was getting all these freaking like articles around the world, top 100 influencers on Snap, and I was getting yeah. millions of not millions, tens of thousands of followers, incredible engagement. You know, hundreds of people telling me that they miss my snaps every day. But I had to make a decision. I had to prioritize. Am I doing Snapchat? Am I doing Instagram? Am I doing YouTube? Am I doing Facebook? Am I doing Twitter? Am I doing Pinterest? Am I, it, it's never ending. So I said, listen, I'm going to prioritize YouTube over Snapchat. And I literally deleted Snapchat from my phone. And now I, I started to use Instagram stories. Now, is Snapchat dead? No. But, it, you know, in my opinion, at least in its current, I guess, you know, route and where it's, where it's going right now as a company, Facebook's cannibalizing them. Yeah. So I kind of said, listen, I don't, I don't see a future for this company and my content. So I'm gonna kind of transition over to YouTube and to Instagram, and that's what I've done. I'm just starting with Instagram Stories. Literally last week, or even yeah, last week I started with Instagram Stories, just because I kept getting people saying to me, you know, where are your stories, where are your stories. I was like, I'll experiment, and it's been incredible. Last night, I uh, sorry, yesterday I, I went on a little bit of a rant, a topic I don't usually go near, but I, I had to, and I'm not gonna talk about it. it was a political thing. And I talked about it and then I said, you know what? This is actually very therapeutic for me. Maybe I'll use Instagram stories as my therapy platform and I'll rant about politics here. And I said, what do you guys think? And I took a poll. Holy hell, I got like 700 answers from wow. people saying to me, yes, 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 yes. It was unbelievable. Incredible mm-hmm. engagement. So so the answer is, you know, I kind of transitioned over there. It's not a question of what's big now. It's a question of what's going to be big tomorrow. That's kind of my philosophy on this stuff. So let's go into tactics. Um, you know, what startups, I mean, there's not just startups listening to this, there's, you know, your old traditional importer, exporter, CEOs probably driving to the factory at the moment um, that, you know, aren't as attuned to the world of content marketing, but they're curious. Um, Can you give us some tactical examples of what you've seen on how startups or companies, CEOs should not do PR? Well, you just used a different word than we were talking about till today. We, till now, we were talking about content. Well, communica- co- content, communications. But, but, that's, but, but it's an okay. important distinction because a lot of times people will mix up content marketing and PR because at the end of the day, both of these things are an article. Right? In both yeah. cases, both content marketing and PR are writing an article. PR is someone writing about you. Content marketing is you writing about the industry. Very different things. So, so let's, let, let's focus in on the process of getting other people to write about okay. you. Okay, so, so then the answer what is... What are some of the shockers you've seen on the internet? The answer is very simple. It, it, it comes right back to the things we were talking about before. If you're... Imagine this, all right? Imagine you spend the next five years. Every day you get to your, your office in the morning, 9 a.m., make yourself a cup of coffee, and you write about your industry. Every day for the next five years. And in five years from now, you write the leading journalist in your space and you say, we, you know, we're launching or we just acquired a company or we just got acquired. You just, by, by producing all that content over those fa- last five years, you just position yourself not as another startup that's pitching that journalist, but as a colleague of theirs. Because you're also producing content just like them. Mm. So when I pitch, you know, these leading tech publications from a PR perspective, they don't view me as a PR company. They view me as Hillel, our colleague. 
because I write for them. It's a relationship. Yeah, but the point is, by generating content, not only are you elevating <coughs> your brand, not only are you doing all the things we just talked about, but you're actually positioning yourself as not just another PR company, but as a colleague of that journalist that tomorrow you're going to be mm. pitching. So if you focus on your industry, and, and that's an in- interesting discussion because, you know, let's say my let's say my product is a Barbie doll. Okay, I'm selling Barbie dolls. But that's sexy. What happens if your product is really boring? I'm, I'm, I'm going to ignore the fact that you just called Barbie doll sexy. No, but if your product is boring, it doesn't matter. I, I worked at a mobile advertising company. I don't think anybody in their right yeah. mind today would call mobile advertising sexy. Um, it's on the contrary. The way mobile advertising was done until recently was big banner mm-hmm. ads on my apps. It's, it, you know. And when I came to this company, we started to talk about the strategy of getting developers to use our technology. And I told the CEO, we're going to start a company blog. And he thought I was nuts. And I said, on the blog, not only are we gonna ta- not going to talk about ourselves, about the company, but we're not even going to talk about mobile advertising. And then he really thought I was nuts. I said, we're going to talk about mobile. A little bit broader. We're not going to talk about tech because that's too broad, but we're going to widen our hands just a little bit. So the answer is, if you're selling Whatever it is you're selling. I don't care if you're selling paper, man. It doesn't matter how sexy or unsexy you are. Take your hands, and your hands are you know, signifies your, your specific niche, and broaden them just a little bit. So if it's paper, then maybe write a blog about office supplies. If I'm, you know, or if you're selling you know, currency transfer, then maybe talk about the intersection of technology and finance. I'm just throwing things yeah. out there, right? Take or the your, stories behind the customers. Another great thing. And by yeah. the way, that should be what you just said, in my opinion, should be... We a, say behind every money transfer lies a story. Right, so, and like, so if you can hone in on the story of those customers, then you Fundamentally agree. I love it. But I, I think that yeah. that should be part of your content strategy. So, for example, you know, on your blog, you guys should talk about a little bit wider than your specific niche. And sure. part of what you should do maybe once a week is interview someone and give a person a spotlight, yeah. give a person a stage and tell that story. Um, but, you know, you could talk about the news in the space. Yeah. You can talk about trends in the space. You could do interviews in the space. You could do, do lists. Let's talk about let's talk The about core lists. product market fit for us would be importers, exporters. They have phenomenal stories. Yeah. You know, that British company that just signed their first overseas order or, or the company that bought their products from China for the first time or, you know, the successful eBay Amazon seller. They're a fundamentally interesting stories so, versus what's happened with sterling euro this right, week right so you know this is you know i want to i don't want the, yeah. the listener here to think that this whole giving thing and content thing is very abstract this, this no. actually manifests itself very practically and i'll give you two very simple examples in fact i'll give you one because we already, we already talked about interviews yeah interviews we talked about by giving someone else a stage yeah you know you you actually a produce great content but you they're happy to do it you give you now you know kind of created a relationship with that person they then share that interview so you get traffic and you validated yourself by saying oh my god currency transfer just interviewed whatever you know market recent yeah. wow so you give yourself kind of validation so that's interviews and and the only reason that works again and for b2b companies it's not only an in-depth business meeting you get a lead yeah 100% but but remember the only reason that works is cuz you're not taking you're giving yeah. someone else a stage but i'll give you another example of how this manifests itself in your facebook feed i'm sure you see every single day top 50 this top 50 that top 100 this top 100 that and you roll your eyes and you ignore it and that's fine unfortunately on my facebook feed recently I'm seeing too many ads. Right. That's a, a topic That's a for another time. Topic. Yeah. Yeah. But the reality is there's all these lists and we all ignore them. We roll our eyes. But you know what? It doesn't matter what we do because I'll tell you why. The guy who wrote that is freaking brilliant. And let me tell you why. Imagine tomorrow you write an article on your blog, top 50 nicest mustaches in fintech. I'm giving a stupid example for a reason. It doesn't matter what the list is. It really doesn't matter. Top 50 <coughs> most influential people in our space. And you take 50 of the top you know, most influential people with a picture of the person and a one-liner. It takes you, let's exaggerate and say it takes you an hour to write that article. Every single one of those 50 people, remember, these are f- people with millions of followers at the top of your space will now get a ping, whether it's a Google alert or they'll find they're on Twitter or someone's going to tag, whatever it is, saying, oh my God, this blog, currency transfers blog just plugged me. 
What is this company? Mm. You just got on their radar overnight. Number one. Number two. Ego bait. 100%. But not in, a, not in a cynical, in a bad yeah, way, in a course. good way. You're giving someone yeah, else yeah, a stage. Yeah. And the second thing that happens, every one of those top 50 influencers that you just mentioned on your blog is going to tweet your article. Yeah. So you just got a crap load of traffic. And again, you validated yourself. So this only works, again, this only works because you're giving other people a stage and you're spotlighting and highlighting other people. Too many companies talk about themselves. No one wants to read a blog post from a company talking about themselves. It's just not interesting. Talk about other people. And that's what I do on the vlog. I just want to highlight other people. So in a nutshell, is that the difference between sales and marketing? So that's, a, that's an interesting question. I think uh, I've talked about this many times. I'm sure you've heard me say it. But there's, in my opinion, the difference between sales and marketing is, is one word. And that one word is not something that we're familiar with in our, in our culture here locally. It's actually a word that doesn't exist in, this, in, in our language in Hebrew. Uh, and the word is subtlety. Yeah. Right? Sales is, here's a phone, buy it. Marketing is, here's a blog post about phones. By the way, I also sell phones. But you decide whether to buy it or not. It's a subtle thing. Mm. And, uh, you know, we lack subtlety. Many cultures lack subtlety. But you, you, for marketing, you need, you need to be able to tell a story. You need to be able to be subtle. You need to not sell. Nobody likes a salesman. So that's the difference between sales and marketing. It's an alley-oop and it's a slam dunk. So that's very interesting. So moving into the topic of hiring a professional versus keeping it all in-house. Um, let's take the example of, let's move away from tech. I'm a paper business. I'm your bog standard import, export, successful business, but they don't have a Steve Berg. They don't have a head of growth. They don't, they're not, they're nice, not, nice plug. The, the infrastructure isn't built with a, you know, um, an in-house marketing team. Who does that? The CEO? Do you work with outsiders? Um, what would be your recommendation to sort of growing SMBs um, that aren't necessarily experts at what we're talking about, but they're curious, they want to get into it? Does it start internally or do you, do you look for professionals to, to do this for you? So, if, listen, I can only talk about tech. I'm not in that industry, obviously, but I fundamentally, and you know, listen, I'm, I guess one might call me, you know, an external advisor to companies. So I guess maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot. But at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to messaging, when it comes to product, you need someone to have your DNA. Mm. You know, you can't outsource your communication. Like, communication is you. It's your voice. And again, I, I don't mean to, like, you know, diss all these marketing agencies. There's a place in the world for them, but... When a company begins to scale and has to like focus and you know hone in on their message, and you got to do it in house. You can't. There's some things you can't outsource, and there are things you can outsource. But but in my world, the world of communication and marketing and growth and all that stuff, you can't outsource that stuff. And I want to go back to persistence because I think that's key. Mm -hmm. You know, if you take your vlog, what's the name? It's it's called Hillel's. What's the name of the vlog? Oh, Hillel's daily Let's vlog. give it a plug. I don't know. I don't know. It's Hillel's a, daily vlog. Look for, me, look for me on YouTube. So, you, you know, you're closing in on a very, very impressive 200 episodes. Um, it essentially documents your working life. Um, so I understand what motivated you to, to put this out in the first place. But, you know, giving some tactical advice to entrepreneurs out there that, that look at this vlog and say, hey, do you know what? I'm going to take a camera and I'm going to start documenting. Um, what kept you going in those first few episodes where the, current, where the viewer count was in the 50s or low hundreds or whatever so the answer is you know people say this to me about the blog like you know what happens if it wouldn't have taken off and i say to them then i would have had a good time writing a blog mm. i love it i had a good time with it so the same thing with the vlog you know whatever if it, if it works fantastic if not i'm i'm highlighting other people giving people the ability to know cool people whatever i lost nothing mm. i'm having you know i'm not it's not like i'm making these like people now reach out to me all the time saying hey come to our startup and interview us on the vlog i'm like that's not i don't operate that way i, I have friends in the tech space that I go and I meet 
and I happen to bring my camera. I'm not, I'm not going to meetings to interview people for the blog, for the vlog, right? So had it, had it not taken off again, I'm still starting getting started. My numbers are not, you know, Casey, right. But had it not gone to where I wanted it to go, so I still would have had a good time doing it. So you got that, that brings us back to a very important point, which is, you know, you got, you got, and I know this is so cliche, but as, I don't know who said this, but someone said that the deepest truths are in the, are in the, <coughs> are in the strongest cliches, right? There's a reason it became a cliche because it's true. You can't do anything today without passion. Because if I had been blogging about mm. ballet, I would have failed. Because I'm not passionate about ballet. You gotta be passionate about what you're doing. And so you that know, comes out so clearly in your content. You really it's legit. It's love genuine, what you, know? you do. Right. So the answer you're prepared is, to wear t-shirts most days with the yeah, name of a company. Hundred percent. You know, you you clearly are. You so know, into it. You gotta be. You gotta be into it, right? So the answer is, you know, just keep at it, man. If you're having a good time, just keep at it. Keep doing your thing. Be genuine. Be real. You got. You can't fake. You, you and know? depth is more important than width, right? If 100%. you have just five people that listen to your vlog and there is a total listen account of 50 but those five people are going to share that vlog or buy your product you've won oh a thousand per- i cannot tell you i mean i can tell versus you versus a hundred thousand viewers of people that are totally irrelevant to what you're doing i'll give you one example yeah so um years ago i don't know i don't know if you remember the show uh who's the boss you remember that show maybe i don't know where you grow up uh london you don't remember who's the boss? Anyway, yeah. how old are you? Can I ask you how old you are? 30, 31. Sorry. Oh, you're a little younger. All right. So I grew up <laughs> on a show called Who's the Boss? And if anybody's over 35, 40 years old, remembers the show. So, <coughs> Alyssa Milano was a little girl. She's an actress who's a little girl on the show. And she was my first crush. All right. I grew up on Alyssa Milano. She's, she's awesome. And when I started, you know, tweeting, I saw that she's very big on Twitter, very big into tech. And so I followed her. And I started to follow her pretty religiously. You know, I loved her content. And I'm sitting at home one day and I get a push notification. Alyssa Milano has followed you back on Twitter. Now, this is a woman who, again, I grew up on, has two and a half million followers, is a mega star in Hollywood, and I'm some dude in some random small little town in Israel. So I, I literally messaged her and I said, WTF. <laughs> like, what the, f- right? Like, how did this even happen? And she said to me, it's very simple. Every single day in my Twitter feed, I keep seeing your name. People keep tweeting your articles. And I'm like, who is this Hillel Fold guy? So I come to your Twitter and I see that you're helping startups. You're trying to do good for the world. So I followed you. So that's really cool, right? But big deal. It's just a Twitter follow. Fast forward a year and I wake up one morning with a press release from a company. And, you know, I wake up every morning with 300 press releases from companies when it's all the same garbage. Dear blogger. Like, dude, why can you, like, research my name? You know, it's ridiculous, right? This company sent me a press release. Dear Hillel. We follow you on Twitter. We love this article that you wrote. Great work on this. Like very personalized. They actually spent like 30 seconds writing that email. And I said to myself, you know what? I don't even care what these guys do. I'm going to help them. Anyway, long story short, I looked at what they did. I loved it. I wrote an article about it and I tweeted that article. And the, the, the tweets read... You wrote the article on one of on your blog. own platforms? On okay, not Okay. My blog, I wrote the article and the, the title was The One Tool You Need to Decide Who to Follow Back on Twitter. And I tweeted it. Mm. Now Alyssa Milano follows me, right? So she retweeted me to her two and a half million followers. One of her two and a half million followers is an Arab sheik in Saudi Arabia with 50 million followers. Wow. These guys' servers melted. Melted. Amazing. Now that all happened because of one tweet. And how did that one tweet go so viral? Because Alyssa Milano followed me. And why did Alyssa Milano follow me? Because my content got on her radar. Again, it, it all comes back to giving content. And I'm telling you, one, two, five viewers, it doesn't matter. Because if one of those five viewers is Oprah Winfrey... You're set. Mm. So ignore the numbers, dude. That guy, you remember the famous picture of the of the of the plane that landed on the Hudson? When there was a plane that yeah. landed? The guy who took that picture had like 70 followers on Twitter. That picture had 90 million views before CNN even knew about the plane crash. That's how viral it went. It doesn't matter who you are, how many numbers, how many followers, it's irrelevant. It's about quality over quantity when it comes to building your actual brand. I could not care less how many viewers I have. I've never done 
one cent on SEO or any of that stuff. I let my content speak for itself. And the best type of SEO is good content. Any SEO will tell you that. Absolutely. Right for the user, not for Google. 100%. Incredible. So final tactical question before we reach our quickfire rounds. So we're coming to the end of the interview. Um, So a company is inspired by this. They want to start a vlog. Um, A question I ran and played in the back of my mind when starting the podcast, is it in the name of the individual or in the name of the company? Fantastic question. There's no right answer to that question. Uh, The idea would be both. The idea would be, you know, you have the company Twitter, let's just say, whether it's the vlogger or yeah. Twitter, it's the same concept. You have the company Twitter and you have the face of the, of the company. And, and they're kind of retweeting each other, sharing each other. So you have a personal take and a company take. That's the best case scenario, but that's, you need resources for that. So I think in today's kind of, I'd say business culture, I think companies should have like a, like an influencer, like a, like a face that people know. And yeah, you can video a, pod, a podcast. It doesn't really yeah. matter what, what tactic or what, um, let's call it avenue <coughs> use, what type of communication, whether it's written or audio or video, uh, at the end of the day, people, and again, sorry for the cliche, but people do business with people. Nobody Absolutely. does business with a business. Every CIO out there, every CTO is a consumer at the end of the day. You're not selling to Nike, you're selling to Jenny. Exactly. Yeah. Every C- CTO, every CEO, it doesn't matter if you're Jeff Bezos or you're, uh, is a consumer at the end of the day. And you talk to them as a consumer and you win. So I think you, you should have a personal touch to it. I have no problem with a company doing a company blog, but, but the company blog should have articles written by Steve. Yeah. I just used Steve as an example, but good, 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 good move here. Like, good move. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Right. Very quick fire round because I'm sure you've got an incredibly busy day. Must read book for entrepreneurs. Extreme Ownership. Jocko Willink is a, is, a, is a book recommended to me by Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. I, I cannot, I have no words. You, you got to read this book. Extreme Ownership. It's by a Navy SEAL who took the lessons he learned from the battlefield and brought them into business. Jocko Willink. An amazing book. Second book is uh, The Hard Thing uh, About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Third yeah. book is Tools of Titans and, and uh, Tribe of Mentors by Tim Ferriss. All phenomenal books that will change your life. You ever going to write a book? I'm writing one right now, man. Beautiful. About, about this industry, about how to give and, and win. But it's, you know, it's going to take time. Favorite podcast? Ooh, that's a hard one. I, you know, it's, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say this because I actually am a founder of a startup in the podcast space, but I don't listen to that many podcasts. Um, Leo Laporte is kind of awesome when he's built an empire in the podcasting space. I'd say listen to his stuff. You know, This Week in Tech is, is valuable. Uh, but the truth is I don't, I don't uh, you know, in terms of prioritization, I don't find enough time to listen to real podcasts, you know, uh, consistently. Best place to consume news? Flipboard, period. I'm wearing a Flipboard t-shirt right now, but I'm an advisor, full disclosure, but I don't read anything anywhere outside of Flipboard. Flipboard curates the best content for me. I sound like an ad, but it's the truth. I love the, I love the platform. It's an amazing I like scrolling through Twitter for me. Oh, so that, I, that Twitter news could, feed is my uh, my source of news. So Twitter I use differently than you. I, I have uh, Twitter lists that, you know, I have an elite tech press list. I have favorite people on Twitter list, and that's the way I get my, my stuff on Twitter. But you can also put your Twitter feed into Flipboard, and then you can view it in, in by yeah. flipping. It's a lot more beautiful of an experience. So I read everything I read on the internet in Flipboard. Beautiful. Best life hack for work-life balance. It's tough building a startup. It's, I, w- uh, I wrote it yesterday. Kid you not. I wrote it. You probably didn't see it yet. I wrote it on Inc. Magazine yesterday, published last night. Every smartphone today has text replacement. You can replace any sentence or any phrase or your email address or your phone number, or your home address with a shortcut. So every time you, someone asks you what's your email, instead of having to write your email out 5,000 times a day, set yourself a two-letter shortcut that when you write those letters, it completes it. You do this times 100, and I can show you, you know, too bad this Amazing. is a video, but I'll show you, let me show you guys, let me show you something. You can see it with you, these guys can't see it, but if you go into my, my settings, I go into keyboard, I go into text replacement, look how, many, look how many shortcuts I've set up. Look at that. 
Fantastic. When someone sends me an email and says they want to meet with me and it's and it's not a relevant meeting for me and I have to say to them, listen, dude, this is not relevant for me. Instead of saying, listen, I'm really sorry and spend 15 minutes writing that email because I'm trying to be sensitive, I set up a shortcut. And the shortcut is the words not relevant in one word and it fills an entire paragraph. Someone sends me the resume and it looks like garbage and I say to them, listen, dude, you need to fix this resume. It needs this <laughs> and this and this and this. Design and formatting, I set up a shortcut and boom, done. Someone sends me but a... But you can go into that long after the shortcut has been done, you can go and edit and customize. Let me, I, I'm, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Okay, let's, <laughs> let's say someone sends me, let's say someone sends me um, a Facebook message and they say mm. to me, I, you know, can you help me find a job? Yeah. So what I say to them every time is do me a favor. I can't do anything with your resume from Facebook Messenger. So you type here, not relevant. Watch this. I say to them, send me an e send me an email with your with your resume. Make sure it's formatted well. Make sure it's here's my email address. I just yeah. write the words on my phone. C V V. Boom. Happy to try and help. Please send me your CV to Hillsville. Great. Yeah. And if you want to tweak it slightly, you can okay, go in and edit. Do whatever I want. Amazing. This, this saves me easily. Saves you a few minutes a day. A few minutes? A few hours. Probably an hour a day. Amazing. It's an unbelievable life hack. Great. And once again, how do people get set up? With this thing? Yeah. Just go in, in, in iPhone, settings, general, keyboard, text replacement, and just set up replacement. Start with your email address, your phone number, your credit card number. So instead of having to write your credit card number 80 times a day, set up a shortcut. It's such an easy hack, and it could save you so much freaking time. Brilliant. How do you like to switch off, Hilo? How do, how do mean, you relax? How do I switch off? <laughs> uh, but, well, I'm gonna, I might get in trouble for saying this, but nothing relaxes me like a good cigar. Man, I'm telling you, last night mm. I went out to eat Jerusalem, had a massive steak like you saw on my Instagram, and then I just, <laughs> afterwards, just sit down, have a cigar, man, it's the best. Good cup of whiskey and a cigar, nothing relaxes You're me. You're an avid droner as well, right? Yeah, that, you know, that's actually not so relaxing, because that's pretty scary. You're always afraid you're going to crash it. So, yeah, a good cigar, a good whiskey, nothing nothing beats that. I'll have to bring you out to the golf course, come and have a round with where, me. Where, where golf course? You live near a golf in course? In Caesarea. You live there? there? I live in Tel Aviv, but I go up once a week. You're a golfer? I'm a golfer. How do you know that? So I was actually there at a fundraiser a couple of months ago for Ezra Mitzion. I was there mm. for the whole day. It was awesome. That place. It should not be stressful, but it becomes very stressful. Quesaria is one of my favorite places on earth. I love Quesaria. Yeah. It's amazing there. So, favorite productivity tool? I mean, we spoke about this, but do you use Slack? Um, I do use Slack, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here, but I actually... It's a topic for another time. I'm not. I'm not convinced that Slack has solved the problem that it's it aimed to solve. Because what did Slack come and say? We'll get you out of your inbox and we'll save you time. But if I show you my Slack right now, you'll get a headache, mm. right? So I get three thousand notifications in Slack instead of three thousand emails. We haven't accomplished very much. So. And there's also more pressure to reply yeah. more immediately. So you know, I use Slack regularly with because you know because of the nature of my work, I'm on twenty different teams, right? Mm. Uh, Google the Google Developer Experts Program. We have a Slack. Inc. We have a Slack. Everywhere, everything I do, I have a Slack. It hasn't really saved me time. The truth is, you're going to laugh. So how do you filter between it, through all these 300 press releases a day? Let me show you something. You're, again, <laughs> What I, makes what, you efficient in the way you manage your again, daily, this, I'm one of 300 entrepreneurs reaching out to you? Right. And, so, so first of all, this is uh, where <coughs> it, it's unfortunate that this podcast is not video because I'm going to show you something that will blow your mind. I'm going to open my inbox right now. Look how many emails I have. Three. Wow. That's my inbox. Three emails. Why? Listen carefully. My email, my inbox is my productivity tool. If it's in my inbox, that means it's it's a task that needs to be completed. Once it's completed, it's archived. My I don't use a to-do list, I don't use task management, I use my inbox. So while I hate email and when I, you know, come back from signing off for the weekend, I come back I have ten thousand emails and it's a pain in the butt. You can't talk to me for three hours every Saturday night. The reality is that I I live by my inbox. I'm I'm generally under ten emails in my inbox and you know it's it's my best my best productivity tool is actually cleaning my inbox. So hold on, you get 300 emails a day. 300? Sorry, you, overnight <laughs> you wake up to 300 yeah, emails and you're yeah. saying you manually just go through each one, but you keep on top of it. Right, well, you've emailed me before, right? Yeah. How long did it take me to respond? 
<laughs> on average, half an hour? Uh, really? It's that much? Under half an uh, hour. Uh, usually, you'll see it. You ever try to... Let's do an experiment. Email me later. Right, you could be now. eating a steak. You're not going to reply to I'll, me while I'll, you're eating the you'll, steak. You'll be surprised. Or, or I, I respond to, to most people. You're going to the movie with your, what, okay, your so, lovely wife. Right. So there are exceptions <laughs> to the rule. If I'm in a very, very important meeting, I'm not responding to emails right now. Sure. But generally speaking, I will respond within less than five minutes to all, almost all emails. Unless, again, unless I'm in a very, very, very important meeting or an important meeting that, or a meeting that the person would be mm. offended if I responded to emails, but I'm always responding. And so the answer is, yeah, I wake up at 3.30 in the morning, max I wake up at 4, and I spend a good hour and a half going through my inbox, and I keep my inbox to as close to zero as possible, and anything that needs to be done is in my inbox. And anything that's done, once I did, once I did that task, once I completed that task, it's archived. So, yeah. If I you mean, said that to Ariana Huffington, she would, she would question, is that healthy, though? Okay. Are you present? If that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. Good point. I think uh, you gave a very good example of a person that is probably the extreme polar opposite of me. My wife goes crazy when I'm on the phone right. the whole time. And, uh, you know, there is a uh, point where it doesn't become so healthy. The answer is you're right. Um, you, you know, it's work-life balance. Not that I'm sure. necessarily a believer in that concept, but that's a topic for another time. But, you know, everyone balances in their own way. I'm home every day to put my kids to sleep at 6 o'clock no matter what. I don't care if I have a Google event. I, I turn them down no matter what. I'm always home to put my kids to sleep with almost no exceptions. And that's how I achieve my work-life balance. But from you know, I, I'm a, I don't believe, and I, I might write an article on this. I, I fundamentally, and some people that are listening to this might hate me for saying this, but I fundamentally believe that push notifications are an absolute necessity in today's business world. You cannot. And I had people that have asked me for things. I responded. They responded two weeks later. That's it. They're, I'm done with that person. Mm. You can't respond. you got to respond in a timely manner. And again, it doesn't have to be immediate, but you need to know when, when a message comes in. And in my opinion, it's unprofessional, like seriously unprofessional to not be on top of your communication and not to be responsive to people. I don't care if you're a journalist or whoever you are. You need to respond to people. And so, yeah, am I present? I believe I am present. Mm. But on the other hand, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reliable and, and people know that. And if somebody wants something from me, I'll deliver. I'll, I'll come through for them mm. with very few exceptions. And that's kind of a core belief of mine and something I try very hard to practice in my day-to-day business I also I, I try and set the bar high when it comes to responding to emails, as you say, in a timely fashion. The thing I need to improve on is, you know, getting emails back and forward. It creates a sense of pressure, if that makes sense. Or, you know, the content within the email, whether it's a bit of good news, a bit of bad news, a bit of, you know, incredible news, a bit of terrible news. You know, the life of an entrepreneur can be a bit bipolar and it's dealing with that on top of the face-to-face, the physical, the present. Yeah. Is is a, I th- I believe is a, is a topic that the community needs to go deeper on in terms of helping entrepreneurs manage that because I'm never going to drop my work rate. Right. I, I think I have the same sort of blood as you. I want to set the bar very high in terms of what I can accomplish in the day. You only live once, but at the same time, I think you know there does need to be more um, you know content put out there or advice given to entrepreneurs how to do that but at the same time be present yeah I mean listen dude no one said it's going to be easy right if, if it was easy to be an entrepreneur everyone would do it so the answer is these, these are this but we is, love it yeah, we if you love, love it, what you do 100%. you never work a day in your life so it's, 100% uh, this is one of the biggest challenges is balancing it all no question <coughs> about it it is a challenge but um you know, listen, you look at the best entrepreneur, look at Elon Musk, the guy's running several billion dollar companies and somehow he has time to tweet. So you, you, you got to maximize your time. Use shortcuts like we talked about before. You hack your life, man. You got to hack your life. You got to find shortcuts where you can apply shortcuts and not apply shortcuts where you shouldn't be applying shortcuts like building relationships. That's not where you should be applying shortcuts. Yesterday, I gave a PR person a piece of my mind on LinkedIn because she basically mass emailed all these journalists and she wrote me, I think our startup would be great for your readers. And I'm like, mm. really? What readers? Like, I, I, kn- I knew she was full of crap. I knew she didn't like research who I was. And then she writes back three hours later, oh, I meant your viewers. I'm like, no, you didn't. You're just mass emailing people. That's where you shouldn't be applying shortcuts. Yeah. Not a place to apply shortcuts. T- 
text replacements on your iPhone, apply a shortcut. Mm. But building relationships, spend 30 seconds and research the person before reaching out, you know? So the answer is that's, a, that's the difference between the winners and the losers is being able to attain and achieve that balance between where you should be Cut, you know, cutting corners and where you shouldn't be cutting corners. Fantastic. Hilal, it's been an absolute pleasure. Your passion is infectious. I've only had two coffees <laughs> today, man. <laughs> so I can provide the Diet Coke. But if anyone wants to get in touch with you or consume your content, what, what would be the best route? So, you know, uh, my name is Hillel, and my mom always called me Hills growing up. <laughs> so my, my thing online is Hillsfold. H-I-L-Z-Z as in zebra. F like Frank. U-L-D. That's my name everywhere. So that's my email address. That, that at Gmail. That's my Twitter. That's my Facebook. That's my YouTube, Hillsfold everywhere online. Look me up, shoot me a tweet, say you, you heard about you heard about me on the podcast, so I have the context and we can connect. Looking forward to that. And yeah, man, just you know what? It, it's not about the follower. I'd love to you know connect with anyone that that can be of value or I could be of value to them and I could learn from. That's what it's about. It's about growing as a person. And when's your book coming out? So that's a good question. I mean, you know, it's pretty much written, at least the, not, I'm not going to say outline, but, you know, a majority of, of it is written. The chapters are done. Uh, i got to beef it up a bit. Right now it's less than 30,000 words, which is not enough for a, for a, a book, in my opinion. I could re- publish it as is, but I don't want to. And that equates to how many pages? I don't know. It depends on how many uh, words <laughs> on each page. But then i got to find a publisher and a distributor. It's, it's a whole world out there. So, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm in no rush, but uh, I'm happy I got through, you know, the majority of it. And I just got to kind of finish that process. But uh, soon, I hope. I hope 2000, by the end of... I would say mid-2019, I'm hoping. Good luck, buddy. Thank you, man. Hillel, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks.